Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Solving Problems with Technology on HXGN Radio. I'm your host, Josh Cranfill. In this episode, we'll be talking about culture, one of our favorite topics, and how that applies to problem solving and technology in general. So with me, again, J.D. Martin from Corbin's Electric, Nate Unruh from Knox Innovations. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Thanks for having us. All right. So one of the things that we're always struck about and, you know, I I think profoundly impacted by is every time we visit, it's clear that your culture has been given major emphasis. And I honestly would go so far to to say that it's, it's your unfair advantage besides, of course, your expertise and your ability to execute, you know, and install things and, and build things and all of that. Um, you've somehow created this culture, and we want to put our finger on that today, right? So, uh, question one, you know, part one: What is your culture? What's your philosophy specifically, and your vision behind culture? JD, I know this is some. This has kind of been your baby within the organization, and um, and uh, and we're just really excited to hear your thoughts. So, what's your philosophy? What's your vision behind your culture? Yeah, before I talk about that, what's interesting is where this podcast is all about, you know, solving problems with technology. And today we're going to talk about culture, which actually has nothing to do with technology, but it is the bedrock foundation for any change implementation in any organization, technology or otherwise, right? Um, Yeah, this is my baby. Culture has been something that's been uh, super near and dear to me. I've been at Corbin's Electric since uh 2013 june uh 2013 so how long has it been eight years okay um i uh i was brought on specifically to help with culture i mean besides some other operational stuff like purchasing uh and things like that um my background i have a bachelor's in uh, marketing but i have a master's in organizational leadership specifically servant leadership which has really uh helped me uh, in this aspect, um, our culture that we have at Corwin's Electric today is not what it was eight years ago. We've, we've, it's changed, it's evolved <clears throat> as it should. Fortunately for us, it's changed for the better. And I say fortunately, but it's really by design. Um, so yeah, we really focused on um, having, uh, creating a, uh, an awesome place where great people could earn a good living. Um, and we kind of wanted to maintain that. So we really started out as kind of a grassroots effort. It was a core group of kind of some middle managers um, who got together and said, hey, are we, are, we doing, are we doing this? Is this really a thing that we want to do? Because um, it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly a fun working environment at that time. We said, hey, is this the thing that we want to do? We look at each other and say, man, yeah, I really like working with you and I like working with you. And I think we have something good here. We got some talented people. How do we, how do we get to a point where um, it, work doesn't feel like work? <clears throat> I know that's cliche to say, and there's all this stuff on LinkedIn and social media, you know, about loving what you do or doing what you love and finding your passion and all that stuff. And, um, we kind of look at that as saying, "Hey, why can't, why can't the, why can't I love the thing that I'm doing? Why do I have to go out change the thing I'm doing to love it? Um, why can't I make the thing that I'm doing the thing that I love?" And so we said, "All right, well, how do we, 
what does that work environment seem like to us? What is what what is uh what is that what does that look like? We said uh, collectively, um, what it came down to is we want to work in a place where we're working with our friends. You notice uh, at the time what we weren't talking about are the were the tasks because the tasks don't matter when you're working with somebody that you love and respect. You could be in a trench, you know mucking out a trench it really doesn't matter if you're doing it with people that you love right um so we said okay yeah i want to work with my friends okay great um yeah i want to work with people that i love uh that i have friendships with and we said okay great how do we do that um well you can't get people to love each other unless they like each other okay well you can't get people to like each other until they know each other okay Good. If you can't get, and how do you get people to know each other? You got to get them in the same place at the same time, relatively frequently, right? And uh, so then we started our our daily huddles, which was everybody in the main office every day at eight o'clock. We still do that. Um, gets together and we run through people news and business news, and I can go on a whole thing about what we do in huddle and the, uh, why we do it and all that stuff. But the that huddle really was the beginning of the transformation for us because it got people together in the same place. They got to see each other's face. A different person led Huddle every day, so we got to see their personality, a bit about them. And then uh, what we did, so Aaron, uh, Aaron is one of my partners. Um, how the Huddle came about is we were reading a book by Paul Akers, Two Second Lean. I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast. I know, Jeff, you're smiling, because that's <laughs> book you know about. Yeah. Um, and uh, in his, in his uh, book, uh, I mean, he went through all the eight waves and all the lean thinking and all that stuff, which was great. But the biggest thing that we took out of that entire thing was this chapter wasn't even related to the eight ways. It was about communication. And he mentioned that there's no such thing as over communication in his organization and how he gets people together um, every day to talk about what's going on. And Aaron and I were reading that book as like a little book study. And we said, yeah, why don't we do that? Right. And this is at the same time we're going through this cultural revolution. So that was the start of Huddle and uh, kind of blew up from there. It was, it was it ended up being a great opportunity since we had everybody in the same place at the same time to go through some educate things. So we like trained people on on lean and eight wastes. Uh, it was an opportunity to um, educate our people on um, department uh, updates, uh, what they do, uh, new people. Um, it kind of grew, you know, from there organically, like, hey, what are, what are we missing? Is that something we can include in Huddle? And this is something we've been able to sustain from, at the time, we were like 200 employees, and now we're closer to 800 right now. Um, they don't all show up. I mean, a lot of those guys are field guys. They have their own, like, like Huddle and stuff. And, but from the office, it grew from like 25 people showing up to Huddle every day to now. I mean, we were, before COVID, it was close to 100 people, right, showing up. Uh, but what a great way to talk about even little simple things guys, that you that we take for granted, um, housekeeping stuff, okay, um, uh, IT related things. You know, accounting will mention when it's time to get your expense reports in and things like that. Uh, oh, uh, break room. Hey, there's you know there's uh, bagels in the break room, so eat them. And that <laughs> what's funny is what that did is that reduced the amount of like um, company wide emails for stupid things like parking and, you know, that paper towels need to be replaced in the bathroom and things like that, right? Okay, so really, really menial things. 
that actually have, uh, it's actually a win for us because it creates a, a community of uh, communication, okay? And people get to know each other. So anyway, that's how, that's how the culture started. It's definitely gotten stronger from then, from there. Um, the biggest risk from there is as we've grown from 200 people to 800 people is cultural dilution, right? You add people who come from different backgrounds, have different worldviews. They're not bought into the culture yet because they're just barely getting, you know, they get exposed to a minimal amount during the interview process and the vetting process. Uh, and uh, we hope they, you know, that they, um, they assimilate, right? And some people, most people do have, and some people don't. So philosophy, kind of repeating back to you, friendship is really important. Communication is really important. Um, getting together, so on and so forth, being on the same page, running the same place. It sounds like, to be honest, and I think we have this same view, it doesn't matter if you're an electrical contractor. You'd be trying to do the same thing if you were selling, you know, Chromebooks or, uh, you know, widgets on the street, right? It's the same thing. Let's develop a culture of trust. I know trust is is huge for you guys. Um, friendship, communication, and and let's get it done type of stuff. One of yeah. the <clears throat> and yeah, and Josh, I want to add one more word in there. Um, clarity is another one that we've really, especially over the last two or three years, um, has Cl been clarity. Just to jump yeah. in, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Clarity, clarity, and context. Okay. Yeah. In yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. Right. And what we realize is no matter what level you're at in the business, um, if you have the clarity of what your role is and how that and how you're supposed to be and what success looks like for your role um, and the context that you need to achieve that success, all of a sudden, if everybody has that for each role in the business, all of a sudden we're moving at a thousand miles an hour because when I need this issue, I know exactly who to go to. When I know that in order to get this information, I can go to my manager or he'll find somewhere else to go get that, right? Um, and this kind of comes down to a lot of things, right? Org chart's a big part of that. Um, having a well-structured org chart where you understand where the areas of your business are where you need to make decisions, right? So for us, that meant adding a project executive vice president level that our project managers report to. Uh, so they're making decisions on a geographical um, division level that we can now standardize processes through them and we're not working with all the individual managers throughout our business. So that was something we learned, especially with scale, um, where before we knew we had, you know, the leaders of the company and then we had the next level and we all could get together and do that. But since that was no longer an option for scaling, we had to continuously look at our org chart and say, hey, at each level, what it, who's responsible for what? What does that mean? And it one of the things it does is it helps us find the gaps in there as well. Right. When we're saying, OK, this is what our 150 million dollar company looks like. What does that 200 million dollar company looks like? And while this is, you know, business organization and other things like that has a huge impact on our culture uh, because when got when individuals and I'm going to include myself in that, when you get up and you go to work in the morning and you have a clear goal and you know what success looks like for your role, all of a sudden you feel that, okay, I'm moving towards something. I know what I'm doing. I know how I'm affecting the company and how I'm contributing to that. And 
if I need to, right, if I want to increase my value to the company, I know what success looks like in my role. And not only that, but it takes you from that silo of trying to figure out everything yourself and knowing that the resources are available for field support for this, for this, for this, and there's a applicable individual. And so that clarity of how the business works, who's who in the business, um, and what role each individual plays is a big part um, in, right? We talk about that trust um, and but that you have to have clarity before you have trust of understanding exactly, hey, when you're communicating with me, this is the questions I can answer. These are the questions somebody else can answer. And so that's been a big kind of revelation for us over the last little bit in order to scale our culture was we really needed to make sure that we are communicating on the same page with clarity. You, I, I don't think you, culture, could some companies accidentally have a good culture? Like, yes. Yeah. We had to be very, very, very intentional about the culture and what we are expecting. We, our culture. So, um, one thing that we did also early on is we we read this book called Level Headed. Um, it's it's it was written by two of the founders of um, Sunt S U N D T. That's a general contractor who started out in Tucson, Arizona. So they happen to be in our backyard. But um, very good book, and they talked about their cultural revolution in this book and. It's great because every at the end of every chapter, it actually has questions for you to like self-assess like you and your company and where you're at. And one of the questions, it was talking about our core values. And it said, uh, one of the questions was, um, are your core values something that your employees live and breathe every day? Or are they collecting dust hanging on a wall somewhere in your building, right? And we kind of, we got to that in this book study we were doing. There's 10 of us. And we kind of looking at each other going, oh, yeah, ours are... I couldn't even tell you what our core values were at that time, right? This is 2014. Um, because it was written by, you know, our old owner back in 2001, and he hired FMI, uh, you know, a, a think tank consultant company for contractors to help come up with a thing. And they sat in a room in some resort in Soda, Sedona somewhere, probably, you know, thinking of, um, uh, you know, using catchy, kitschy words that, you know, might inspire some people. Anyway, we looked at that and we said, oh man, we got we to gotta, we gotta redo our core values. So we went to the drawing board collectively, but most of the inspiration really came from, from uh, Justin, our CEO now and president. Um, and these core values, our whole point of having core values was to, these were going to be um, the beacon. These were the behavioral expectations of our employees right, and how they operate. So we've actually changed them since then. We did kind of a rebrand in 2019 uh, and changed our colors and our logo and things like that. Um, and we modified our core values, but right now they are uh, in, a, in one word, um, passion. Uh, and the sentence that goes along with that is, we love to build projects and provide leadership in the construction. Then comes relationships. We build trust by interacting with authenticity and mutual respect. We have innovation. We create and implement technology and put ideas into action. Development. We cultivate our skills and discipline individually and collectively as we work towards our purpose. And then excellence. We deliver superior safety solutions and sustainability to our team and customers. Now, these actually do mean something to us. 
Uh, and you take the first letter of each of those keywords, passion, relationship, innovation, development, excellent. It spells pride. Our logo, if you guys, if no one has looked us up yet, you go to our website. We are, uh, we have iconography. We have a lion is our, is our mascot. Um, so a pride of lions and, you know, thinking about a group of people who come together to live their core values. I mean, that's a pride of lions. So, um, something very important to us. Now we've expanded that since then. So beyond core values and our purpose statement, which is empowered thought leaders boldly change in the construction industry. We also have our lion's code. Okay. Um, and our lion's code applies to everybody. We have, uh, there's nine statements, but they're broken up into three sections. There's as a lion, I won't read through them. I'll let you guys go to our website and find them, but there's as a lion. These are some, some, uh, behavioral expectations, um, representing the, sorry, as a lion, two other lions. Okay. That's as a lion. And then as a member of the pride, um, Oh, sorry. As a lion is an individual. These are individual responsibilities. Like, for example, I vigorously educate myself to improve my skills to increase my contribution. Okay, which lends itself to the 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 um, development piece in our uh, core values. And then there's a, another section which is as a member of the pride. So this is my, the behavioral expectations from one member of the pride to another member of the pride, right? So amongst your peers. And then there's a group of behavioral expectations for as a representative of the pride. So that's um, inside the pride, uh, you know, facing out, okay? What we expect, for example, I remove constraints for our customers to achieve their purpose, okay? So um, then we take it a little more granular than that. I know this sounds like a lot, but this is this has been over, you know, the last, you know, six, seven years. We take it one step further, we've created uh, top 10 responsibilities not a job description, but responsibilities, the top 10 for each, each role, each job description that we have. And these are the uh, responsibilities of that individual. They're not task-based, they're responsibilities. So now we get very clear on what every person is responsible for um, as their piece of the puzzle in the organization, the thing that they do to contribute to the success or the value. So all of these things lend to um, you know, having an environment where people have clarity, context, understanding, vision. We also talk about in our organization about driving a stake in the ground, whatever that, whatever the thing is that we're caring about as an organization, we drive the stake in the ground and we want our organization to be like a circle uh, and everyone's facing the stake, right? Everyone's looking at the stake. If somebody's looking away from the stake, then we got to go correct those behaviors. Now, there may be people who are at different different um, uh, distances away from the stake, right? The perimeter might be large, but as long as people are facing towards the stake, then we can, that's something we can work with and we're all going towards that same common goal. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. All right, we'll, go, we'll move into, um, I want to go tactical. So we'll go rapid fire. I have, uh, I don't know, six different topics, some of which you've already covered, covered already. And so I want to hear how these things help specifically with culture. It could be tactical, it could be theoretical, whatever, but whatever comes to mind on the following six, six topic, topics, and I'll give them to you beforehand so that you, you can know what's coming, but marketing, branding, interactions and huddles, which we already co covered a little bit, 
coaching celebrations, which a little bit of is in huddle, and then I'm sure there's there's some other things. Which, which by the way, I really enjoy when I go to your place seeing somebody give one of those pride coins out to somebody else who did a good job, and everybody's clapping and everybody's actually into it. Nobody's rolling their eyes in those meetings, and it is unique. Then you look around. You walk around in the prefab area. Everything's clean and organized. The signs that have your core values up on the walls are clean. They're bright. They're and and so that takes a big effort. And I thought and I know it was concerted. So I'm gonna rapid go rapid fire. How do these things help with your culture? Uh-huh. And it might be you know here's what our previous state was. Here's what our current state is now. Here's where we're going with it. Or here's why we've made those decisions. Number one, marketing. Yeah, marketing. Our people are are our marketers. Okay. Uh, of course, we have a social media presence, and we have new colors, and we have you know all that stuff. But that kind of lends itself more to the branding side. Our people are our best marketers. Period. And our customers are next. Okay. Um, but yeah, marketing is uh, it, it lends to our culture because we 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 do the things that we talk about. At, uh, like how we are, our personality, you know, being, being bold, um, uh, being disruptive. I mean, all the other cliche things you can think of, but, um, being unapologetic. Um, yeah, those are things that are a little disruptive in our marketplace. Yeah. Now branding you mentioned, right. Which is the next thing. Yeah. Branding is number two. Go straight into that. Yeah. So branding, um, here's something when we rebranded in early 2019, and we changed our our iconography, you know, our logo, our colors to fit more of what our culture was, you know, the lion instead of a lot of a lot of contractors just use the letters. And this is no offense to any contractors out there, uh, but they use letters, you know, we, we did C and E, right, for Corbin's like that was our logo uh, in a particular font and a particular color palette. Um, and we said, no, we got to we got to change that a little bit more. Um, so. We went with uh, the line. We went through a whole brand journey um, to get our branding and our colors. Our colors are, are copper and steel, the colors of the materials that we install mostly. Um, and branding comes down to like down to like the hats our guys wear and the shirts that they wear, right? And wrapping our vehicles. That's all cool outward stuff. But we did say, hey, guys, we want to actually – we want our – um, our people to want to wear their Corbin's electric shirt and hats on the weekends to their kids soccer game, because we want it to be cool that they wear it. Okay. And not just cause they have to, cause it's part of their uniform or like it's a Monday through Friday thing. Uh, and so we put a lot of stock in that we want to make cool stuff. So we have, we put our logo on cool hats and things like that. Um, and that actually helps with things like, attracting talent believe it or not i mean this it may sound sound shallow but people get attracted not just to the iconography and the logos and the colors themselves but as they get to know the company a little bit more the branding helps solidify their interest in going further in the process of coming to work for us right and that's important um I'm sure there's people out there who are like, I want to work for that company because of their branding and that's cool and that's cutting edge and all that good stuff. But then hopefully we really sell them on the culture and our people and the things that we're trying to do. So. All right. Um, third topic yeah. is interactions and huddles. We've already talked about it. So I'll reframe it in this way. Huh? 
what are you noticing and and this could be a kpi or you know our 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 staff are sticking better or it could be something a little bit softer and, and more fluid but before interactions and huddles i've been part of i don't know i've probably been there for 10 of them yeah. they're amazing um and everybody's involved what was the before and after um true effect and outcome of those yeah let me give you i can throw out some statistics some stats because we do keep track of this. Um, before we started our cultural revolution, we had just professional staff in the office was a 60% attrition rate annually. Okay. I know Jeff, your eyes are speaking. I know our <laughs> listeners can't see that, but like, you're like, wow. Okay. So lots of things attributed to that. Most of it I think was cultural. Um, there was a 2008, you know, recession thing in there that didn't help, but like, Oh, you know, for the 15 years leading up to, the cultural revolution, it was on average, it was like 60% attrition. Okay, this, so that's not good. Uh, n now it's a lot lower. It's We have like a 90% retention rate um, over 12 months. Now, if we go in general in our company, those who make it to three years, our retention rate at three years or longer is phenomenal. I mean, it's exponentially larger. And that's not to say like, oh, if, you stick, if you stick it out three years here, oh, you'll be good. No, what I'm saying is um, our culture isn't for everybody. Um, yeah, and, yeah, you know, point. just like with any organization that's growing, you you have people who aren't, you know, who aren't cutting it or aren't contributing or aren't adding value. And um, we certainly want to, you know, um, we don't want detractors to stick around. So sometimes we exit people and sometimes they exit themselves, but that's okay. We have an acceptable attrition rate right now. I wish our attrition rate was a little bit better in the field. We have a um, a 40% um, turnover rate in the first 12 months for our field, but that's mostly, uh, this is really a construction thing. Anybody who's a contractor knows what I'm talking about. You have zero skilled people, zero experienced people, and and this work ends up being not, doesn't end up working out for them. It's not the thing that they are passionate about and want to do. So you know, they exit uh, the business. And I'm sure some of that we need to get better at too, about helping ease into that. Um, and there's other things we're doing, even pre-employment, like we're getting involved in schools. We have a Build Your Future Arizona, which is a marketing campaign for the construction industry to educate um, students and parents about careers in construction. So it's not such a, such a surprise for them, but yeah, things like that. I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to call an audible here and say, so you showed us your, you know, your workout facility, your training room, the all that cool stuff, which, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I, I sent a boss, my boss, a video of. Um, but uh, part of the thing that you do when you're bringing people on is assessing who they are, their personality types. They're you're assessing their skills, right, to find out maybe, you know, pay rates, whatever, mm -hmm. um, fit. How does that? process affect culture yeah great um, question yeah and, and uh, nate can talk a little bit about this because we uh, let me tee it up for him for nate here we are slow to hire okay that's not a bad thing we take our time we we go a little bit slower maybe even slower than some candidates want and certainly slower than some of our hiring managers want right because when you need talent you need talent but the reason why we go slow is so unlike hiring fast um, and firing fast, um, we hire. So we want to make sure above skill, uh, 
technical skill is cultural fit. We can actually train anybody to do anything, I think, reasonably, right? Um, but having somebody who's bought in and gets excited about what we're doing as a culture and working with people in, in a dynamic industry and like, sure, the gym helps, I guess. I don't know. It's not really something we advertise, but it's like, yeah, it's a perk. Um, we are slow to hire. We're also slower to fire. Okay. That means we spend more time. We invest more in our people. And Nate can talk about that because he's had, uh, you know, he's, he's had to hire eight people over the last three years. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, I guess especially focused on the culture piece, right? I mean, obviously the people you're bringing into the culture, that's always the biggest challenge, right? Um, if you've at, if you're at the point where you're, you have a culture that you are happy with, right? And it's doing the things that you want to do, that saturation point, right? And as you add more people, right, that can easily get diluted. And so when we're talking about scalability, right, the biggest thing of that is adding people. And with that, ensuring that the culture continues to um, kind of permeate no matter who we're hiring and other things like that. And right. So part of that's on the talent acquisition side of those individuals that we're bringing on. And so a lot of those conversations, right, we always start with a behavioral, right? Obviously you have to have the skills to um, qualify for the position, but outside of that, we start with the behavioral because um, it doesn't matter how much technical expertise you have if, um, if, and it's not even just you working with the manager, right? Um, it's also, can you work with other individuals in our organization? Because like we talked about that communication and why, and our culture is so important is because that you need to be able to work with other individuals and you need to be able to understand your role and embrace it and understand what success looks like in there. And so when we're, when we're going through this hiring process and we're looking at, are you a cultural fit, right? Almost every company looks and says, Hey, are you a fit for this company? Uh, we look at that as at a different point and the easiest way, you know, speaking personally for when I'm looking at individuals, um, a lot of times it's what they get excited about, right? Um, cause everyone can say the right things. Everyone can, um, you know, use say the, the right, right words, in, yeah. yep, use the right words. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you're interviewing, right, you're asking a question and trying to figure out what the answer is. And we're not, we're not, I'm never looking for answers to the question. Like sometimes I get weird answers that are, cool and make me think about things differently. And, um, but when we say, Hey, you're going to have this responsibility, right? There's kind of two responses to that. One of them, it's scary, uh, but I'm ready for it. The other one is, ah, eh, that seems like a lot of work, right? So those interactions of, Hey man, that sounds exciting. Or, um, while it sounds kind of weird, I don't really know what that is, but Hey, if I've got people to support me, let's go into it. Right. Um, and the questions that individuals ask as well, right. That's a big thing too. Um, when we're, you know, we're interviewing individuals, but they're also interviewing us at the same time. And so if the only thing they care about is the perks of the job and, you know, all this kind of stuff and how much they're, you know, that's it, we're not going to be the most, um, we might not be the best place for that individual uh, because if they don't value, you know, that relationship and working with people that you trust and they'd rather, you know, work in a silo, do their own thing and, um, you know, forget it at, uh, at the end of the day, then um, it's not the same working environment. And so when we 
when we look in that and really focus on that and um, it can be tough to really get a sense for that. And, and that's why I said, I really look for that passion. Um, what do you really care about? Right. If, um, if when you see yourself in this position, what is that, what, what do you see yourself kind of aspiring towards and other things like that? Because that's really where we keep that culture of excited people that, you know, want to do something different. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of the people that we are, are what we call our A players are usually people that came from other companies where they had a really rough culture, right? And they were high performers, but they weren't able to perform and be successful because of their the restrictions that were put on them from a communication standpoint or from a clarity standpoint or a context standpoint or anything like that. And so Right. Like JD said, if you have that passion and that part and you we put you in our organization, that's the goal of the culture is that we make successful people successful. Right. So yeah. we provide an environment where successful people can exceed even their own expectations and really accomplish something. Uh, and if we're able to keep that environment up, then we've succeeded in the intent of the culture. And so we run into a lot of different companies that have a, right, hey, we work really hard and we accomplish a lot of things. And that's that comes with a lot of the passion of wanting to do things and other things like that. And so turning that on its head and saying, hey, we, we're not like, our culture is not that we're a loving family and everyone can do what they want and all that, right? There's that kind of turn of we want people that are passionate about the people the relationships and going after that and a lot of times that ends up building super strong relationships right and going through that process um but if you're not ready to work and kind of be in that environment then um it, it won't yeah, work I, as well I, I think you'll you'll talk to some people you know i'm i'm kind of into the tech scene here locally and and in the bay area and stuff and um and you'll certainly find people that say, oh, our culture is so great. Nobody's telling me what to do, right? Which is which is kind of like, right. wait a minute. Yep. That's got a shelf life. The, so how does it apply when you, because I don't know if those guys ever get anything done, right? Yeah, we're chatting a lot and everything. Sure. Uh, so how does it apply when you're specifically, and maybe this is tactical advice or, again, it's it's just a general feeling. But what about how does that apply to coaching? So somebody... You know, you've created this environment where people have clarity. They have, um, they have context. They have, they have, they're empowered to do their best and to bring their value. When you have to coach somebody, how does that play in? Is it? And what advice do you have? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you've ever managed and been a manager in a company with a bad culture, it's actually difficult. It's really difficult because a lot of times that culture probably means all they look at is results, right? And they can ignore bad behaviors or the other way around where um, good behaviors are the only one, right? And so finding that kind of middle area when you one of the coolest things about our culture is it actually makes it and that clarity, right? We talked about that is it actually makes it really easy to coach, right? We have core values where we say, Hey, this is the behavior that's not leading up to expectations or, um, Hey, this is the clear expectations for your role. This is how you're not meeting those expectations. And so, um, a lot of those conversations, a lot of really 
I guess, difficult coaching sessions happen when there is not a clear understanding between the manager and the individual that they're coaching, right? The individual that they're coaching thinks they're doing a great job. It's awesome. And the manager is now telling them that it's not right. Those are the tough conversations when the employee knows and is able to understand that, right? Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not doing a great job and stuff. That's a much easier conversation than if we're not on the same page of what success looks like. And so if you can get past that part of the conversation and jump right to, hey, let's work on what that looks like, or, hey, if this, right, if this doesn't continue, that's um, where that ends, that conversation becomes so much more simple. So I would actually say the culture and being very clear and well-defining what that looks like and the expectations for both the role and your cultural involvement in the company makes it really easy as a manager and as an employee to be able to lean back on that and say, hey, these are the things that I'm doing. And so I'm well grounded. And hopefully, like JD said, I'm at least heading towards that stake, no matter where I am on the map, at least I'm pointing towards the right direction. And so we're having the same conversation about the same goals. Yeah, awesome. the stake, this goes to all of the things that I mentioned earlier, our purpose statement, our, um, our core values, our lion's code, down to the individual you know, top 10 responsibilities for each role, all of those are their own individual stakes, right? Um, for, for whatever audience is applicable. And it's, it's easy. It brings clarity. No one has to guess, right? There's, there's expectations for, uh, from the company or the managers to the uh, individual employee and from the individual uh, to other individuals or back up to the manager or the company in general. So coaching I, it's not our difficult conversations, quote unquote, difficult conversations probably aren't nearly as difficult as what a lot of people have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we still do, we do monthly one-on-ones where we go over lion's code and core values and things like that. Um, and you know, we have, we have a system for that and that's good. It's an opportunity. Basically it's forcing conversation between a manager and employee on some of these things. Right. Um, so that helps, but good. Yeah, it, it go it goes easy when you got a good culture, you know, with the full of trust and people that like each other. All right, last two questions, um, so that we can we can give this a wrap. But how does technology? I know you guys use Exalt for uh-huh. everything. You use Power BI for for some things. Um, I know you you even use Exalt to find out T-shirt sizes and things like that. But how does technology apply to culture as well? I know they go hand in hand in your company. Yeah. Uh, what would you say there? Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that that uh, so listen right now we're kind of in this mode of like attracting talent because talent is the most constrained resource in our industry across the country. I don't care whether yep. you're an electrical or a heavy civil. Talent is an issue. So we've been hyper focused on attracting talent, and technology has actually helped with our culture when it comes to attracting talent, retaining talent, because we have a lot more younger people who are tech savvy and they want to be part of something that, uh, that, that feels like, you know, the 21st century. Right. Um, (laughs) so, so, and we're, you have, now we're hiring, you know, 30 year olds who basically grew up with a cell phone in their hand. You know what I mean? And 20 somethings that grew up with an iPad in their house. So, um, this isn't, this isn't new to them. I mean, I can't imagine what they would do if they went to a company that was still putting pen to paper, right? Right. Um, 
so yeah, technology lends itself to the things that contribute to our culture, but also having a culture um, of continuous improvement and lean where we're able to uh, do process improvement, whether it utilizes technology or not. You know, if it does utilize technology, then it's for the purpose of automation or data collecting or analysis and reporting. Um, those help because people, a human doesn't end up having to do uh, sitting down on a computer, hammering out, creating a bunch of reports for weeks on end, right? Or, they can or, actually or add value in other ways. Or taking my 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 least favorite thing in all of the industry is taking thing that's something that's on a piece of paper and then putting it into an Excel sheet and then finding its way into a reporting system. Right? It's just yeah. ah. <laughs> I know. It, I cringe every time I you know I talk to other contractors who are trying to process, improve, and use uh, technology. And it's like yeah, they're using technology um, as in like they're moving in da- uh, information from one database from one platform right. to another, right? Yeah. Or, you know, across devices and you're like, oh, there's so much better ways to do that. Um, so our culture, people are thinking because it's part of our culture, this lean thinking of continuous improvement, our people are asking, hey, is this a thing that can be automated? I mean, that's something that comes up in conversation. It doesn't take a, a C-suite executive level person to go, hey, we need to automate that thing. I mean, the, ba- the basic people are doing that. Um, yeah. So that it's 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 a reciprocal, right? Uh, employees like being part of a technologically advanced company, and vice versa. The technology is only as good as the people who are implementing the processes and coming up with the processes and refining the processes, right? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Last question for for you, JD, before we let you uh, go for the day. This has been super good so far. Um, have there have there been any, I guess, hard decisions? that I have applied to culture, or maybe what was the hardest that comes to mind uh, that was either hard to decide or hard to implement in in your, obviously you're in the desired state or you're moving towards the desired state um, right now, but what during, during the, you know, from then to now might've been difficult about that. And, and I, I'm, sh- I'm sure everything was, right? This yeah. all took work, but were yeah. there any hard decisions that come to mind? Uh, hard decisions? No. I mean, we're, we spent $200,000 building out a wellness center, not just a gym, but like a whole wellness center, you know, yoga and, and a bunch of other stuff, weights and things like that, basketball court. Okay, that's easy. Throwing money at problems is easy, okay? Um, but that doesn't resonate with everybody. Um, now, I'm going to answer your question with COVID aside, because there's a whole bunch of other weird stuff that happens because of COVID and for sure. having people feel be physically separated, but still be part of the culture. That was super important for us that people get together. Right. Um, so that aside, that's a whole other issue. And people, it's almost ad nauseum at this point. Let me tell you the thing that we've had a hard time with as a contractor is bridging the gap between um, uh, how professional staff communicate who work in the same building, you know, most of the time, or maybe a couple of different buildings, but have a different interaction than our field uh, does. Um, it's easy to communicate with uh, professional staff because they have, most of them have Corbin's electric phone numbers, you know, cell phones, which means we can text them. They have email addresses so we can email them, right? Um, we can post things in the break room in common areas that everyone would see. How do we communicate just basic information like benefits enrollment is coming up? How do we communicate that to the field when, um, 
we 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 may not have good phone numbers for them or they may have changed their email address since they got hired and um you know we communicate to the the project managers to the superintendents to the foreman like how much of it is that getting filtered down to the you know to the newest um guy right um so decisions haven't been hard but communication in general has been we we've come up with a tool uh we're using technology. It's not necessarily Exalt. It's a platform we found for like an intranet. It's a work of Evo. It's very, it's more, it's like a, it's like a, it's kind of like social media, which I know turns some people off. Even myself, I don't have Facebook. I can't stand it. But what it does, it's because it's insular, um, it's just employees. It's a way for us to share information at fingertips. It's just a matter of now the hardest part has been communicating to individuals that we already have a hard time communicating with. To go download things. <laughs> to go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once they get in there, then it's like, okay, no big deal. They have the app now. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's app based. You know, they can get it on the web, but they, we, anybody can uh, communicate just like social media. They can post, people post, you know, funny memes on Fridays and things like that. But it also is a way for us to, um, it is our single source of truth for documentation. Like ac our actual, like our hand, our employee handbook lives there. Like that's where you go to get to the, that everyone it's equitable because everyone has access to it as opposed to putting it on our network drive, which only professionals have, have, have access to. Right. So that's yeah. an example of like things we're trying to overcome with communication that also, you know, are, have cultural implications. Yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. I think that's a good place to wrap. I think we could also have this conversation for the next eight hours and not actually Dude, run out of I topic. love talking about culture guys <laughs> and anybody who's listening if you want to talk about it, ping me, find me on LinkedIn, find uh, my contact information on our website, uh, corbinselectric.com. Um, if we have people who come and visit us just to talk about culture stuff, like I'm open to that. Um, we, we have people come and tour our place. They want to talk about lean in general or implementation or how we do HR stuff. I don't know. We're here as, our um, purpose statement, empowered thought leaders, boldly changing the construction industry. Like that's really what we're about. We're, we're helping to change the industry. We want to change the industry for the better um, because that's the only way we're going to move forward collectively as an industry. Okay. Yeah. We can't have a bunch of uh, everyone kind of doing their own thing. We, we got to move towards, um, we got to drive as an industry, we got to drive a stake in the ground and everybody moving towards that same thing. So we're here to help. Um, and that's all free <laughs> it really just comes down to like time so anyway hit us up i know josh mentioned and jeff they they both come to visit uh, a couple times um we're happy to have visitors so just hit me up if you want to see that stuff fantastic um well thank you so much as always it's a pleasure um honestly i love these conversations and i, and I know we'll have more for all the listeners, be sure to check out all of the latest podcasts from across Hexagon at hxgnspotlight.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Thank you very much for tuning in. Take care.